3: You're listening to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. I'm Fergus, I'm your host, and if you've been listening throughout 2023, you'll know that I've been exploring, from time to time, the St Patrick's Way in Northern Ireland, following in the footsteps of the Great Irish Saint. Now this episode is my very last, sadly, uh, but it's a great one. I'm in the company of of storyteller Dwayne Fitzsimons, and he took me to the coast, magical coast of County Down, the Lecale Peninsula, where he runs walking tours. As well as finding parts of the tale of St. Patrick, such as his well, and even his final resting place, Dwayne conjured stories of local folklore, shipwrecks, and even ghost stories. It was a completely magical journey. And you can find much more about Dwayne and his walking tours at his website, lecalepeninsula.com
1: it's more the local kind of tradition handed down, is that he came in through the narrows of Strangford Loch in a storm and washed up around the shore near Rahulp at a place called Inverslan in the Ruslany River. Um, and we know, according to the legend, that the first sermon he gave in this parish of Dunsford North Glass was a sermon to the fish, which he preached off the rocks over there.
3: Fantastic. <laughs> His first parishioners were fish. Yeah. They're fantastic. <laughs> well, what a great place to start a walk taking in the sort of stories and legends of St. Patrick. Well, yeah. I'm with Dwayne Fitzsimons, Fitzsimons, yep. Fitzsimons. Fitzsimons. Yep. Uh, right here, though, it's Fitzsimons. Fitzsimons. OK. <laughs> so there's three. There's, well, where are we going to be going today, then? What's the,
1: So today what's we're the doing plan? a section of the Keel Way. So we're walking south from Ballyhornan towards Artglass and um, it's a lovely kind of cliff top section of the little keelway so we're starting here at sea level on the beach but then we'll go up onto the cliff tops which rise up to about 30 meters above sea level really spectacular geology underneath us um it's silurian bedrock um and it tells the story of the formation of ireland so and we're going to um and we're going to be hearing some stories along the way of st patrick and, and you'll and hear that. the stories of st patrick um st- stories of shipwreck um stories of the people um, and stories of their kind of traditions and their superstitions along the way. Fantastic, look forward to it. Great. Lots of linnets here, squeaky little birds in
3: this. So we're descending some steps towards a sandy beach. And what's this island here?
1: So this island is Guns Island, which comes from the Danish word gunner, meaning battle. Um, um, so Guns Island. Yeah, okay. there was a significant Viking battle fought there that. I don't know much about but but the name kind of stuck with the island. It's actually owned um, privately by a local family. So you'll see on the island there's some sheep over there. Um, and the sheep just, they can, at very low tides, we're on a low tide now, but we're not at the lowest, um, the sheep actually can just swim across. Really? They can yeah. come back? If they, can, they, want. they can be driven yeah. across.
3: Yeah, oh, that's amazing. It's a very, there's not a tree on the island, it's just a sort of rather barren green outcrop, but rather. Enticing looking place to yeah. go. So you can't go over there for a picnic? Is it private or?
1: It's privately owned, but it's, it would be a wee bit frowned upon to go over. Yeah, um, I see. Okay. We won't go there today. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not waiting up to move No, no, to. no. It looks great. <laughs> okay. so, and, and we're looking out onto the Irish Sea here then. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. And then um have got the Irish Sea, and then as we come around, you'll see um, our glass kind of on the horizon. Beyond that, you've got St. John's Point, and then as we get onto the cliff top, you'll see the Mourne Mountains really forming like the most southerly viewpoint. Um,
3: Dwayne I should say has a really rather nice um, walking stick. A sort of, how long have you how long have you had that? Is it your so sort of trusty stave? I've
1: um, had this about a year and a half now, but it's an ash kind of stick. Um, my dad had uh, my dad's a farmer, so he had an outhouse with an ash tree growing up the side of it, and it was going to get taken down, so I went in and. Harvard, harvested himself about 30 walking poles so Oh okay, brilliant And ordinarily I would give these out to the people on the walks with me Just to relieve their kind of burden And yeah, yeah. take a bit of weight off the knees Lots to be said for having a walking stick I don't
3: have one with me today so do Hopefully the knees will bear up I'm walking across this lovely seaweed strewn There's this lovely smell of the sea Seaweedy. Would you described that as lovely. <laughs> yeah, well I've got a bad sense of smell. I quite like it. I think it kind of reminds me of its rotting seaweed smell. Yeah. Uh, it's um it's the smell of seaside
1: holidays and uh rock pooling. So I think it I kind of associate it with good memories. I think with all the legend there has to be a real person there to begin with. Um, and then just as storytelling evolves, they take on kind of more supernatural kind of elements of this of being, yeah. and then the legend becomes much bigger than the person ever could have been. If you take the likes of the St Patrick story, he recorded his own confession, which details elements of his life, not every bit of his life. But the reason he's so popular now is really because in the eighth century two um biographers Terrahan um, and Murhue Decided to write a life of St. Patrick, and the purpose that they were doing it for was to assert Armagh as the primatial see of Ireland. Okay, so, uh, so, so it was a
3: battle for who could be top, uh, sort of, who could gain religious ascendancy, or
1: yeah, and basically, the aim of Holland Murphy was to really make Patrick's story much bigger than anybody else who'd gone before him. And that's why some of the legends came out at that time. Ah, oh, really? So he might have embellished it, you think? They, they both would have embellished it, but then um, in the 12th century when the Normans arrived here, John de Courcy um, was a renegade knight who captured Downpatrick and controlled everything from Cardingford right up to Carrickfergus. And to really kind of make his kind of claim on the land more viable for himself, he instructed a guy from Furnace called Jocelyn to write the life of St Patrick, and in the life of St Patrick, it wove in a lot of the local kind of places into the life of St Patrick. I see, really so tying people. him to this area. Yeah, and it was really, really a way of like trying to celebrate the culture of the people from here, rather than trying to eradicate it. So you're saying that this
3: Norman knight, de Courcy who grabbed some land here, yeah,
1: he used the St Patrick legend to cement his own position. He would have, and it was a way of kind of appeasing people by being seen to celebrate their culture in a way. John de Courcy was uh, from Yorkshire, and he was his father's second son, and his father only controlled famil- familial lands; he didn't own them. Um, so he knew he was never going to amount to much. So he got himself onto an expedition to Dublin in 1177. So fairly early on into the Norman kind of settlement of Ireland um, and convinced 22 knights to follow him with 300 foot soldiers and they marched north from Dublin and um, when he arrived he would have known that there were um, at least Saint Patrick buried here but also St Bridget and St Columba
3: so they're all in the same area here aren't they're they? all buried
1: oh. at the Cathedral yeah and the reason was that the people who were here before the course they were quite able to fend off the Vikings so they were sent to Downpatrick to be put under the protection of the, Dolphite, the name of That's the name of the people. And de Corsi captured Downpatrick, had the bishop find the three saints and had them reinterred with a cardinal coming all the way from Rome to do it. So really great pomp ceremony. But in the Downpatrick area, he founded a number of monastic sites. So he, he brought the Benedictines over and he brought the Cistercians over. And all of these were there to really push on the legend of St. Patrick and really reinforce that cult of St. Patrick. Patrick, his name actually wasn't Patrick. He took on a name which he gave himself, Patricius. And his original name, I hope I'm saying it right, is Maewn Sucat. And I think Maewn is perhaps, uh, perhaps you find it in Welsh or not in Polish. yeah, Yeah. okay. M-A-E-W-Y-N yes that's
3: what it sounds quite uh sort of welsh etymology but
1: you think about the name patrick patricius it nearly sounds like fatherhood so ah, he, he's right. seen himself as maybe Parter, the, the founder aye. of a, like a nation that follows him but he was also humble so i don't know whether that's the right kind of interpretation of that either um where we're at now this is port Nacou, and port Nacou means the fort or the the port of the hound And it could be that folklore would tell you there would be a hound that kind of guarded over this place. So at night it would deter people from visiting. Yeah. Um, Smuggling was quite rife in the 18th century. And the legend of the hound would have been probably made much bigger so that um, people would avoid it um, during nightfall and be able to get contraband in. What we're walking on is a pilgrim path to St. Patrick's Well at Sheapland. Mm. And um, there's quite a significant kind of history behind the well in that it's recorded in the 1700s and it's, there's a few different recordings of it but the farmers wives always the wives were always very keen to go and get um, water from the well before sunrise on May Day right and as part of that they would bring with them the May flowers which here is the marsh marigold and they would drown the flowers in the water of the well and then take that home and place it on the outhouses and as a way to ward off and protect from fairies interfering with the milk so that they would always get a good yield of butter for the year um and that, that kind of practice still continued somewhat to this day although people don't make their own butter anymore um, and it really was still practiced quite heavily up until the 1970s really so as a sort of so and the people around here generally held on to a lot of very ancient tradition
3: so this and we're coming towards a sort of a deep chasm where the, where the sea washes into a jagged inlet a, milky blue water down there stepping towards the edge
1: so if you look straight there you can see there's quite a significant channel there yeah and this is a natural kind of fault line and so that in the center there is igneous and that's 60 million years old came up through the rock so that's Um, that's a sort of black hard kind of, yeah. uh, and base, there's, of the, base There's a few fault it? lines along this coastline. Um, with the tide being low, we might get out onto St. Patrick's Road, which yeah. is its own folklore, but it's um, lamprofire. It's a really special kind of igneous rock. Um, and when you see images of it, um, it has brilliant purples in it. It has really rich kind of coral colours in it too. Um, the place that we're at, this is called Lake Nabou. Lake Nabou. Lake Nabou. Lake, Lake means Lake. Oh, low Lake. place Lake. Yeah. or hollow and bow is the Irish for cow. So the low place of the cow, not sure what the um, kind of insinuation is there with it. Um, But as you can see, the rocks make quite a dangerous coastline. Um, So there's a really spectacular story. It's quite gruesome as well and quite sad, but just on the rocks out there to see, um, when you get onto the cliff top, you'll see that there's quite a lot of jagged rocks just protruding from the sea. And in April 1797, there was a ship sailing up the Irish coast and it was called Lammarie. So the ship Friendship, which was French. Mm. And the um, ship was in April sailing up the Irish Sea, caught in a snowstorm. Because being Irish weather, you You never guarantee what you're going to get. You get four seasons in a day. But this ferocious snowstorm came down and... um, there was 103 men on board only one survived and some of them would have went down with the ship and some of them definitely got off the ship and the people here because it was the middle of the night they um, refused to open the doors they assumed that the cries of the men in french was the banshee oh no so the um a lot of the men died of hypothermia Oh really,
0: they wouldn't? So these people were saying, yeah. hey
1: moi! Aide moi! and yeah, uh, it's just a glisse. Oh, <laughs> they they yeah. just assumed it was um, the cries of the Banshee and yeah. they wouldn't the door. So the next day, they woke up to an absolute disaster site. Cool. Um, bodies strewn everywhere. And they found one survivor, he was the Steersman. So the clifftop walk above is known as the Steersman's Pad because he walked that as part of his recuperation, he had quite a severe um, head injury. But as when he was recuperating, he was brought in by the Millers, um, who were the current family, and they nursed him back to health. And he would walk this and lament over the loss of his friends. Um, and he would come back every year to the Downpatrick races, um, and he would always visit his friends that he made out here. But unfortunately, a lot of his friends who were on the ship didn't make it, yeah. and um, it has quite a melancholy kind of Yeah. But it's believed that the ship might have been carrying arms for the United Irishmen, and the ship's still out there to the see, so it hasn't like, been salvaged. You no, know, yeah. people still do dive down to it and see the wreck. There's a number of cannons that have been taken off it, and the cannons will be used um, dotted all over the place to protect corners of buildings, to stop cartwheels from wiping them out. Oh, I see. That's okay,
0: interesting.
1: You get it dotted all over yeah, 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 yeah. here. What a
3: good tale. Sad tale. Sad tale. It's just wonderful clumps of sea beet here. Now we're going to go across a little
0: stream
1: uh
3: so, so, we've, so arrived we've arrived at <laughs> so we follow, we follow the <laughs> we've arrived
1: at St patrick's well yeah so curious so the the wells existed um from time immemorial um it's said that when Patrick um, baptised Mulgoldy, he would have obviously had to have a source of water, so this may well be where Patrick baptised him and his followers. This is the guy who ended up on the Isle of Man? Yeah. yeah. Who tricked him? Yeah. yeah. So it, the the well is quite unique in that it's right beside the sea, mm. but it has very um, fresh water with a real lightness to it. Mm. Um, and the water's said to cure anything that ails you. Right. I just um, so there's stick no- my back in there. <laughs> so there's no, um, no, not one cure. It's said to cure anything. It's surrounded today by a kind of concrete wall that was erected about nineteen fifty eight. Yes. And the um, bottom of the well is actually secured with one of the millstones from the windmill stump. And this smaller kind of water channel here is actually like a Neolithic stone carved pot. So there's a local farmer had found that one of his fields and decided he wanted to give it to the people who built in the wall, and they placed it in here for some reason. So. So there's a a Neolithic
3: pot at the bottom as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's a natural spring comes down through this kind of bank we just waded um, through it and ru- it yeah, and it runs down in that channel towards the sea is there yeah. um, and you will have noticed on the way through there there were some kind of um, dead weeds that had uh, bits of shirt tied to them yes. um, so as part of a pilgrimage to an Irish well normally what you do is you bring a uh, um, bandage or a piece of cloth with you you would drown that in the waters of the well and then you would take that away and tie it to a fairy thorn or anything that grows on the banks of the stream. So that was the tradition around here, that you came down here, you drowned um, whatever bandage. You didn't necessarily have to be ill, it was just part of the custom. You brought something that signified there was something about you that you wanted to leave behind or change. And as the cloth rotted away, that was your kind of ailment, your sin, whatever it was you are looking rid of, that was it disappearing. So this has been here for centuries and centuries centuries yeah. and it is where the farmers wives came to we've just walked the pilgrim route to yeah. it um, for the Mayday morning and again that's not very much a Christian practice it's about the the fairy folk and mm. um, protecting yourself from them so even though it's a holy well it still had that kind of very naturalized um, local folklore and superstition around it that it was a place for protection from them. So you'd come and drown your or dip your marsh marigolds in yeah. you, and so take the, them back to hang over your... You would place them literally over the roof uh, of the door yeah. or the, over the, on the roof over the door of your outhouses or on your porch yeah. and that was a way of protecting your house and your livestock from fairies and keeping your kind of cattle in good stead for the year and keeping you with a plentiful supply of butter because that's um, something that you can sell as a commodity and make a living off. you can drink from that can you i have done um and it it is quite sweet it's it's always really fresh but i am just gonna um in the in the early 1900s it was a place that was reinvigorated for pilgrimage Mm. and they used to have missions in this parish and they would march down to here and have a full kind of ceremony Mm. um so there would be hundreds of attempts at that and we're here today in very much outdoor gear. Mm. These people are turned up in the Sunday best with their straw hats and um, their best kind of tweed and all of that. Yeah. And literally just here to see the priest bless the well again. Wonderful.
3: I'm not sure whether to drink from it because of the green slime. So that's, but that's okay, is it? That's sort of just part of that. It's always been there? Yeah. yeah. So
1: the, it um, wasn't uh, an boom, but that's, yeah. that's the well in the 1930s. Yeah. And then as part of the pilgrimage you would get of that size. Oh
3: my goodness. So Duane's
1: showing me photos of just hundreds or more thousands so of people. Uh, yeah. During lockdown everyone's colourising these old photographs so I yeah. decided to colourise this one yeah. and this um, banner here is for the Ancient Order of Hibernians so you can see Hibernia yeah. there or no you can see Erin there with the harp beside her and the Irish wolfhound to the side of her as well and you've also got the round tower stood just behind her in the distance. Um,
3: Incredible, gosh! So we are we're alone here today, but at times, I sort times of, the past, hundreds, I right? can dip my hand in, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. When I've done walks down here in the past, my dad's come with me. He's brought a bottle of water. He refuses yeah. to drink on the walk; do drink from the water. Right, well, <laughs> it's
3: it's actually is very agreeable. Uh, yeah agreeable is the wrong word, sweet yeah there's a lot of green, I mean it's slightly off-putting the green algae Cool.
1: so when I was a very young child about seven or eight this particular section of this road frightened the life out of me and I could not ever put the reason on it I was told when I was 25 what it was so in the ruins of the house over there in the trees um, that's a farm called Nochdoo. and there's a guy who lived there, his name was the Reverend Daniel Clinton, and he was a friend of um, Edward Smith, and Edward Smith was a friend of John Wesley. So John Wesley would have delivered great sermons in this parish mm. before Methodism was its own um, a church in its own right. And um, the Reverend Clinton kind of was persuaded by Smith to start following elements of Methodism, and the people around here took against him for that and for some reason they were driven like there were people who were having visitations of angels very vivid kind of faithful kind of um phenomena was going on and they came down in the dead of night put a sack over the chimney and nailed the door shut in the river clinton actually was suffocated to death oh in that house nice. so he died in about 1775 so there's ruins just in those trees there, are there? Yeah. yeah oh i can see yes it's, and it's a sort of gaping on, on that kind of land, the, the Clinton families um, only recently have kind of died out in this part. My, my great-grandmother was a Clinton, and um, I didn't know this until about a year ago, but th- there was a phenomenon known as the Will-O-The-Wisp, yeah, similar to the Jack-O'-Lantern kind of story where... Or dancing lights. And yeah, yeah, and basically the wisp would be kind of um, a fertile, like a kind of light that would burn out and lead people in to disorientate them. And um, this phenomenon only happened on Clinton land because it seemed that they would let one of their own die. Uh, and okay. that was, when I heard that story, the chill went down my spine and everything about this section of the road suddenly just clicked and made sense to me. I was like, that's why. You are experiencing some sort of phenomenon. Yeah. So as a kid, this, how are you feeling today? I don't like walking it on my own, but as you can yeah. see, there's just two people ahead of us, oh, <laughs> and yeah. I'm with you, Fergus, so. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very brave. <laughs> um,
3: I, yeah, it's you know, interesting. It's, I mean, it just looks like a very pleasant country lane, where is. This
1: orange bush is interesting, it looks like. That's the um, Jerusalem bush, I think you call it. Oh, okay. It um, burns bright orange around Easter, so... <laughs> I'm just I'm pausing here, yeah. Fergus, because I want to point out to you this. Pillar. Oh yeah. So um, Pillar. they're kind of they're reminiscent in a way of round towers, and it does um, round towers will be built in a similar kind of fashion. They have no corners, so there's no nothing to run at other than the centre of it, and um, it's a way of protecting things because yeah. it doesn't have a corner, so you can't loiter at it. Yeah. And the reason they're round is because people didn't want ferries loitering around their gates near their animals. So this is near a their paste, essentially for yeah.
3: the, modern gate goes into this. Yeah. Town. So this is to stop ferries loitering yeah. around you.
1: And that around here nice. in particular, on, usually in Ireland, you don't get this kind of collar around the capstone. Yeah. But around here, with a bit more money, so we've put in an extra bit of stone just to say we have a bit more money to spend on this, so we'll put a bit, yeah. bit more decoration on it. But they, they're round and they have the conical tops on them because you can't sit on top of that, you can't comfortably get, you can't loiter around so it, the and it's a way of driving in. the ferries where. Oh, that's
3: brilliant. Some have of the, missed that completely, yeah, that's so great
1: Some of the other <laughs> ones would be that um, they have like a flat top that's covered in like cobblestone so that there's no comfortable seat on it. <laughs> um, so the ferries are seen as quite a problematic, And it's the, got th- the that wrong side of it. And that kind of protection from them continued right up to the 1970s. Even to this day there are people who will still have customs done to ward them off. To protect them so they were they're known as the dinner which means the good folk yeah. but there wasn't really enough a lot of good about them you just had to stay on the right right side of them at all times otherwise they'd be mischievous or even quite malevolent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so the, they would um, say if you tied your cow up and you heard a whisper in the wind saying, don't tie the cow there if you ignore that whisper you come back the next day and the cow's neck would be broken right. by, the, by the, the fairies yeah and if you were laying out the foundations of your house what you would have to do is you would lay out four posts at the corners of the house and spend the night there. Yeah, And if you woke up in the morning and the posts had moved, you knew that you'd interrupted by the ferry kind of path. Or your friends had just played a very cool, cruel trick on you and moved yeah. the posts. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, and th- this kind of superstition existed very much among um, the Christian faithful, so it, it wasn't seen as being. Um, pagan or anything like that. It was just seen as part of the custom of the people. Yeah. And it wasn't the the church didn't try and squash it out or anything like that. So the the story of the priest that was killed over in the house over there, when the will of the west would appear, the priest seen it came out of the back of the chapel one night and there were two altar boys that came with him, and he seen a light shining out from the ruins of the house from the window, and he asked the two boys what that is and they, they said they don't know. But then they came back. Um, with the story from their parents or their grandparents that the priest had been killed out there. So the priest actually said a mass then for the eternal repose of the soul of Father Clinton. And the phenomena of the will of the wisp actually ceased since that. Really? So it funny. hasn't been seen it's been really around. Yeah, in a way it has been But something something lingers on that you've felt or oh, is that since that since you've <laughs> grown up that's happened. That's, no, no, this is that. the 1940s But oh, there, right. there's still that kind of eerie, yeah. ominous feeling about it And I I've, I wrote a piece about it and put it on the blog And people have said, is that, is that that road there you're talking about? And they're like, yeah, I've had the same type of thing and Oh, interesting like There's the a lady who'd run around in a jaunting car yeah. And she says, no, I I'll always tighten the reins there And always try and get the horse to kind of go a bit quicker Because I don't like this, the feeling of it That's how it was so, well, this
3: is the place of St. Patrick. Saint Patrick's buried
1: here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So after Patrick died on the 17th of March at Saul, his body was weak for 12 days, and they got to the ox to carry the body, and where they stopped, they buried it. Um, it's quite a significant, strategic place where it is buried, um, whether that's by deliberate kind of direction of the ox, or whatever, we're not too sure. But well,
3: the ox had something to do with where it was buried, so then.
1: So, wherever they stopped was to be where it was buried. Really? So whether someone was driving them to this, <laughs> this particular place. But it so Saul
3: been. Is, is a little church, uh, the first church he built in yes, Ireland? Saul so far was the gift away, okay.
1: of um, Deku, oh. and um, Saul was the place where he started out in his mission, but it must have been something really remarkable about the people from here. That this is also where he retired to. So when he's mm-hmm. getting on in years, he came back to be among the people from here. And I don't know whether it, it's just their easygoing nature or whether he just thought it's a bit quieter over there. Maybe get out of the um, hectic life of Armagh. But he died at Saul and was buried here, at Dan Patrick. About sixty years after his death, St. Columba came along and he disinterred the body and divided up some of the relics. So he gave the uh, bell to Armagh, the chalice to Down, and he kept the Gospels for himself. And then, um, Colombo then was banished off to I- Iona and died there and was buried there. St. Bridget, who was um, someone who was alive during Patrick's lifetime, um, was buried in Kildare. But the Viking raids started with 795 and the people of Kildare decided that the protection they could afford for St. Bridget's relics wasn't great enough, so they sent them north to here to get a the protection of the Dolpheta. And that was in
3: 834. That's the Dow Theatre, the, high, high the king.
1: local oh, kind of, um, yeah. chieftains of this place, so, right. way. so they, they were able to fend off the Vikings in their own kind of fleet of ships. Okay, um, yeah. So, strong Americans enough ever to keep, came, them, yeah. they could fend them off and keep them at bay. Um, and really St. Thomas set in 1777 now, um, from Iona. And the three saints were buried again on the hill which had to because they're having it a cell, even though they were able to fend off the Vikings, it couldn't defend the yeah. the them at all times. And they were actually buried upwards and John de Courcy, who built the cathedral of Stubbside. called there. down Cathedral. So. Yeah. yeah okay. John, so, John de Courcy, the Norman, yes. Norman renegade knight. Yeah. He was from Yorkshire, probably knew there were three saints here, and arrived finding himself very disappointed he couldn't see a grave of them. So he instructed the bishop to find the grave of the three saints in it. The bishop spent six years looking for the three Not saints. Oh, really? And eventually they were found, and in 1185 they were interred into one tomb. Um, by Cardinal Vivian, who came all the way from Rome in a grave pomp and ceremony. And they were placed inside of the cathedral underneath the altar. When the building was being remodeled, um, it fell into ruin in 1538 when Lord Leonard Gray came and sacked the Abbey that was here. Um, when it was being remodeled in the 1790s, the grave was accidentally opened. And the people of Dan Patrick came up onto the hill and they buried them at the current spot. So the stone you see over the grave today, that grave a monolith, great stone. Yeah, is a 5th yeah, this, century this style yeah. grave. but it's things of it? Sorry. 1900. Oh, right. Again. Okay. So it's very, very modern. It's
3: not as old as, uh, as...
1: No. And again, it comes back to the um, figure kind of central to the story of St. Patrick in terms of the antiquity of it. Francis Joseph figure, he was involved with the Belfast National Field Club, and he had this idea that we should create an actual monolith on the grave that people would come to put their hand on and touch because before that there was just a grave there with a hollow where people would, who were emigrating or on pilgrimage to St. well to take a piece of the soil and carry it off with them, so there's a great kind of hollow So eventually they were going to get down to the bodies? So yeah, you know, so he, he wanted to protect us, so he put yeah. this 5th century-style grave on the top
3: So I've arrived at the Saul Church This might be one of the last stops on my quest for St. Patrick It's a wild, wild day and, and rain and wind so I've come inside Uh, This is on the site, I think it's St. Patrick's First Church, but Duane is going to join me very shortly. But I've got it to myself briefly. briefly. There's a stained glass of St. Patrick at the end. It's a very simple church.
1: Uh, It has a round tower at one end. So um, Saul is the Irish um, for barn back in the 5th century, the modern word for born in Irish, is now Scribble, but Saul at that time um, was a significant place because it was a place that um, feed for the animals to keep them over winter had been stored. Um, and this was given to Patrick by Deku, who was, who was the local chieftain of this area. And Patrick um, made Deku his first convert. And as part of that, Deku decided that he would give away the place where he had his um, food for his livestock, and that became um, Saul. So today we're on the site of that original barn in the graveyard um, you'll see kind of the remnants of what's potentially a more kind of um, fortified wrath and that's possibly what was originally there that patrick built his church on Fortified wrath. A, 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 sort of defensive a defensive kind position. of ring enclosure yeah. so this is the place where patrick began his mission it's also the place that when he was getting on much later in his years that he came back and retired to. So Patrick died here on the 17th of March, and he was waked for 12 days, and during that time there was no night, so the whole district of La became known as Chirna the land of sunshine, and um, during the 12 days the vigil that was kept at his deathbed um, was, they fell asleep, and they were visited by a series of angels. And when they woke up from their slumber, they could smell the sweet perfume that was left behind by the angels. And today this is described as a very kind of thin place. It's a place very close between heaven and earth where there's a kind of a real kind of spiritual settlement in it. And when people come here, because they've come up usually a huge hill to get to here, they usually feel quite a lightness about the place and they're really kind of just at one with themselves.
3: Wow. I've got a big thank you to say to Duane someone's there for taking me on so many adventures in the course of one day. An amazing storyteller. And I, I sort of tried to build a picture of him. He, yeah, he's got this fantastic moustache, wonderful waistcoats, and he's so beautifully groomed and well-dressed for someone who strides out across the landscape. So, Duane, yes, I, I actually recorded probably three or four hours with Dwayne, and we saw so many different sights. But that's just a taster of just stories pouring out of out of him as we walked joyful talking of joyful i'm in the studio with jack producer obviously jack hello and maria joins us this week hello maria hello maria who works on country fire bbc country fire magazine and has done several podcasts in the past and hopefully you'll be joining us a bit more regularly
2: i would love that thank Great. you
3: and you've listened to me and duane what did you think? Did were you transported into onto the trail of St Patrick?
2: Oh, I was, oh, I was. I mean, it's um, it's quite an adventure packed trail, <laughs> yes. isn't it? There was a lot of material information to take in, and um, I wish I had that kind of ability to recall stories in the same way that Dwayne has, because astonishing. <laughs> it's just extraordinary.
3: absolutely astonishing. Every literally every gatepost had a story attached to it. It might be fairies, or it might be just about the gate itself. Well, I I was sort of. How how exactly? How do you remember?
2: And I, I found that I had quite a few questions because I wasn't catching all of it. I want to listen to the podcast for a second time yeah, because there were th- certain bits that told at such a lick. That <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> as
2: soon as like I was processing one story, we were on to the next adventure. The I think it was something to do with um, fairies. All the, you had to leave a flower. Was it over your uh, on your mantelpiece or something? Yes, to, to, keep... to, to, to keep the milk. Was that? Yeah, smell right? fresh and
3: other things <laughs> fresh. I think it's just basically these. I couldn't work out how how malign fairies are, but I don't <laughs> think they were great. And and so there were lots of protections to uh, for everything. I mean, any mishap that occurred would be blamed on fairies. Right. What astonishes yeah. me, it, it was still. I mean, it's still believed in some places, but quite generally believed up until uh, up until the nineteen seventies. So, he's... yes,
2: yeah, I think he was he, he did mention that, didn't he? Yeah. That it's still it's quite, pr- and even today, people will still do it, whether completely from tradition or you know, habit or belief. It's hard to say, yeah. yeah. That's a bit like um, magpies as well, though, isn't it? Like, I will still salute a magpie, a oh, very important part of a quiet podcast. Is, 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 <laughs> if you see one magpie, you may as well just cancel
0: the podcast straight
3: away. It's over.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I did see one the other day, and I had a great day. Really, did you? One yeah. for joy. It's
2: impossible. I one, won. one for
0: great day. <laughs> one for great day. Well, I like that. I like that retelling. Yeah, get rid of the sad. Oh, I <laughs> don't need that, Jack. you Uplift the spirits. Just. Uh,
3: yeah, what else? Was there anything else that you sort of... Uh,
2: um, so, I, I suppose what I want to know, because maybe I take these meet these things more seriously than I should, I, I need to go back and listen to which flowers am I meant to be putting oh, where, okay. yeah. and what was the thing about leaving something, drench, drench it in water, and then leave it draped to rot away? Uh, it was from the well itself, was that St. Patrick's?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it didn't matter too much. He said fairy thorn. Uh, uh, whatever that is I I should have asked him
2: how am I uh, going to identify the right bush to tie my rags to any
3: other plants by the banks of the stream so they're all imbued with this magic so you tie you take your bandage or whatever it is and then you you dunk it as I say dunk it in the well I drank from that water (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, and then um, and then you you tie it tie it to a tie it to a leaf uh, to a tree to a fairy thorn and you're painfully cured um, as, it,
2: as it um, disintegrates dis- That's right yeah, Over yeah, yeah. time Yeah So so too Does your ailment disappear Yeah It's gosh. quite lovely It's a great isn't? idea Yeah I Apart love. from the combination of <laughs> yeah, yeah Bandages Contamination <laughs> yeah, And <laughs> drinking yeah, yeah, water yeah, Exactly
3: <laughs> I hadn't given that Any thought <laughs> At the time But uh, really fasc- Yeah fascinating The well is there I mean it's This is St. Patrick's well It's just there On this beach It's an incredible bit Of coastline That we walked actually Where I mean I probably didn't get across just how beautiful it was totally unspoiled so it was very like Pembrokeshire from 50, 60, 70 years ago just no no developments so beautiful lots, lots of little coves, lots of little beaches, no one else around apart from Duane and me, we were making enough noise for quite a few people anything else that grabbed you Maria that you wanted to
2: well, it was more questions, yeah, I I <laughs> I apologise for the interrogation. No, I like it. I got a little bit confused about where exactly Patrick, Columba and Bridget are exactly. Buried. Because, uh, buried, uh, because uh, I got the sense that Columba was on Iona at one point and then also, but he's also buried uh, they, they alongside been, Patrick and Bridget. So it's I'm very a
3: confused. a tiny <laughs> bit confusing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the, the town of Downpatrick. one of the cathedral there. They're all buried together. So Dwayne... Told, told me okay. and there's this huge This talks about this huge stone that sits on top modern stone made to look like a 5th century gravestone so that was quite moving although it was so windy there that I couldn't record right by the graveside we were literally being blown off our feet so we had to hide behind a yew tree and uh, and sort of describe it from a distance this is the, the secrets yeah. of broadcasting um, but yeah it seems that I mean the whole this whole idea of folklore about particularly about St. Patrick but I think a lot of saints and a lot of holy places it's somebody locally some ruler who wants to gain extra cred and put down their own roots so this de Courcy fellow who was a bit of a rogue by the sound of things a bit of a sort of rogue knight conquered the area and then to give himself legitimacy he sort of rounds up all these bones from various saints and buries them all in one place and goes hey this is the holy site and I'm your guy who's going to protect it everyone seems to go yeah all right that, that seems to work for us thank you and then and he gets people to write the myths and legends and put it all together and you know even Dwayne's du- sort of repeating some of those myths and legends as part of part of his uh, kind of characterizing creating this this milieu of St Patrick mm. and other saints so it's extraordinary yeah. isn't
2: it that he co opts the culture in a way yeah in order to reinforce his own control over the area you'd think he'd want to import his own culture but he doesn't he takes what's already strong stories of the land but then kind of assumes ownership of them by enlisting the people to write
3: i think there's lots the of stories of people who tried to impose their own culture uh, at that time the normans who didn't end up very well for them so
2: he learned the lesson he learned the
3: lesson that you kind of needed to co-opt people and and to, i think he did a pretty good job because he sort of create he really from from what Duane was saying from what i've read he really immersed himself in the local culture and and, and sort out. He, he didn't try and impose anything. He tried to really celebrate and bring it on because it served him brilliantly. He became. I mean, I
2: suppose that's the question. What well, was was his motivation purely um, to kind of consolidate his power, or did he genuinely have an incredibly strong interest if, in? the I think difficult say, the myths and It's hard to know. The cynical it? part
3: of me just thinks, like, yes. let's <laughs> grab the banner of religion to hide all sorts of nefarious deeds. But uh, you know, he he's he did end up been killed in battle I think in the end so it didn't totally work for him but Dwayne uh, oh, okay. said he was a brilliant swordsman who in one fight he killed 17 people <laughs> in one battle who was surrounded by yeah so quite interesting quite interesting guy I'd like to read up more about him he sounds like a
2: he sounds like he could be the subject of a Netflix series a Netflix, yeah 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 <laughs> swashbuckling medieval yeah yeah well, destruction in, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the landscape yeah
3: well game of thrones is filmed in that part of the world, so it wouldn't be too too. Yeah, right, yeah. Keep keep, keep exactly. going with them.
2: Yeah,
3: so yeah, so I I sort of ended. I've, that, that's the end of my St Patrick adventure. Really, I've been around. Listeners will, if you look back over our previous episodes,
0: I think it's been the end about five times. Yeah, they yeah it's true, They
3: keep coming back. I've, I've always got some more <laughs> St Patrick stories. There's always more to say, of course, and I could have created a whole year of podcasts but that's the last that's the fourth St. Patrick podcast so it feels like the the pilgrimage is over my pilgrimage is over but I was going to ask have you either of you ever Jack have you ever been on a pilgrimage?
0: No I don't think so <laughs> No
3: no, no. no. So, um, not I not even on No I don't be I... tempted
0: to hit the road No no fair enough fair enough No I, I, I don't know I you didn't I do feel Chaucer like, at school <laughs> oh, I feel like your pilgrimage you, you kind of got a reason than to go true, to true. somewhere and I think like if I'm going somewhere there may be a reason but it's never strong enough for me to declare it as a pilgrimage it's more just a lot of people go to pilgrimages to find themselves it's
3: like the long caminos to Santiago to Compostela or to Canterbury and that sort of thing how about you Maria? have you, have you I haven't
2: out? I haven't done anything that I consider a pilgrimage but I have one in my mind that I think might count that I think I mentioned to you before I really want to when I grew up with my Dower Scottish grandfather. He'd always <laughs> remember um, his his walk um nine miles over the hills to Largs. And I this this phrase was repeated for, for some reason all the time in my childhood. I mean we lived nowhere near Largs, we lived in London. Yeah. But I have recently, increasingly, really wanted to do this walk that he spoke, that he did as a boy. And I'm sure it wouldn't resemble much resemble what what it you know what it did in his day. But I think I would consider that something of a pilgrimage because I'd quite like to go with my. You know, he's 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 long since died, but I'd like to go with like my mother and my brother and and do that mm. route. It, kind of in, in his honour. Yeah. yeah,
3: that's lovely. That's a sort of pil- Yeah, that is a pilgrimage, but for, for, for very personal reasons rather one of those sort of big, well-known, well-trod, mm. well-trodden paths where you kind of get badges along the way. But uh, oh, have lovely. you done other ones? I haven't. No, I kind of tempted by the idea. I mean the Canterbury Tales, too, so when it sold to you, it's oh, a pilgrimage, they have adventures along the way, this is gonna be great. <laughs> so. And actually and actually you realise it's just a lot of sort of I mean, it is amazing for early English literature, but for a fourteen-year-old study, it's like but where's the journey? And where's <laughs> yeah, the story? So I always thought it'd be yeah. quite fun to, to actually do the Canterbury walk from London from Southwark to Canterbury. It's not too far, but it you could probably find some of the Locations along the way, and you kind of go from tavern to tavern. Yeah, so that that appeals. But I've got friends who've done the big caminos in France and Spain, and it does sound like it's a life changing event. Where you,
2: what's the book that? uh, Jim Broadbent was in the film and I read oh, the book yeah, yeah. the, the pilgrimage unlikely of Har- pilgrimage of Harold mm. Fry. Well,
3: there we go. We've had yeah. some pilgrimages in the plot in the podcast. Uh, so he yeah. walks the length of Britain. He for, does.
2: He does. Can't from remember why. Devon to Northumberland, because his friend, his old friend Queen, he's discovered, is dying of cancer, and he becomes convinced that if he if he makes this walk on foot then he has a chance of saving her. Oh, and it okay. is a sort of a spiritual conviction that sort of mm-hmm. descends upon him. He, I don't, He's not a particularly God-fearing chap before that, but he becomes convinced of this. And it's a sort of, in a, by walking, he's also attempting to right some of the wrongs of the past. And he discovers himself on the oh, okay. route as but well. I think
3: that's, that's what the pil- pilgrimages do, as a sort of self-discovery as much as, yeah, amazing. Well, maybe we should do one for a... A podcast series in 2024. Who knows? Who knows? Because where...
2: I think pilgrimage can encompass anything. I mean, you know, mm. many people's walks are small pilgrimages. After yeah.
3: I suppose I do a lot of pilgrimages to find rare species, and it's yeah. it's a quest. It's a quest more than a pilgrimage, but sometimes it does involve quite a lot of um, arduous journeying, and it's, yeah, self. Yeah, it's quite difficult. It can be can be painful. Long journeys, traveling, climbing, getting wet
0: not seeing the bird at the end of it. I think it's a pilgrimage as a word is, I think is the difficult thing is that mm. you can only do a pilgrimage if you think you've done that bit, a pilgrimage. I don't think you can plan to do one until you, like, you, I don't know, there's just, there's something about it that like, I probably have done something that people would call pilgrimages. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, I think I mentioned before, I did free peaks, mm. which for some people would be a pilgrimage, but just for, it was a challenge. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it was a pilgrimage for me. And I I just, I don't know, I feel like until there's some sort of deep meaning for me, it it wouldn't be a pilgrimage. It wouldn't be counted, yeah. Yeah, And I think that's probably why it's a bit of a weird thing, because some people probably have and not known it, because for them it's not, but for Mm. other people it is. Yes. I think that's why it's all a bit... It's almost like you've got to set out with that mission in mind for it to be a pilgrimage, is that what you're saying? But but arguably, some people, if if it's about finding yourself, yes, that's the aim but you, you don't know how that's going to happen you don't know what the you don't know how to, for that
2: how, that process, how that's going to happen yeah.
0: you, you, you go out to find yourself but the way you find yourself is could be you don't dis- know yeah. <laughs> it could be very disappointing yeah. <laughs> yeah. I oh no I there. did find myself Yeah. <laughs>
3: <right, I> <laughs> <I>, uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on <laughs> um, we also have a section Maria, which is um, sightings and happenings anything mm-hmm. that we've done not pilgrimages, but anything we've done or anything we've seen or anything wild creature we might have encountered in the past week or just bad weather.
2: <laughs> oh, well, I, can I mention the walk that I did along the um, Sussex coast? Because that was Please. my last. Oh, wow. I mean, not quite a pilgrimage, but um, it was walking. The, the, my aim was to walk from Seaford to Eastbourne. Along the seven sisters, and mm. so these beachy are the great chalk cliffs state.
3: of south, so anybody I mean internationally everyone knows the, the white cliffs of the south coast of of, of England so yes. you walked along that wow.
2: walked along that and I did want to make it to Eastbourne, but I will confess I didn't make it to Eastbourne. We made it as far as Burling Gap. Because partly because I will blame Cookmere Haven and that insane <laughs> claggy mud <laughs> Yeah. just proved impossible So to it's cut. a valley,
3: it's like a cut in Yeah, the, like in a little inland, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly and you have to kind of, yeah, you have to go around it essentially, so you go inland around it, and it shouldn't be that long yeah. <laughs> but honestly I've never walked anything more treacherous in my life um, Oh really?
3: Gosh, it was that bad because it it's been a lot of rain, so it was yes, presumably worse yeah. than ever. Yeah,
2: it was great, it was every I, mean, I should say, I use the word treacherous because I broke my ankle this, um this summer. And this was my first big walk on a oh, so recently healed ankle. I was terrified. Us. <laughs> and it really did struggle with that particular terrain so by the time I got to Gap, I had to just say Mm. okay time out time out we'll now get the bus home yeah yeah (laughs) fair
3: enough (laughs) so you've done a huge adventure in well I'm glad your ankle's better because we need you to go out and do some some recording for us So, thank you he said cynically (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: working on it yeah (laughs) Yeah.
3: Jack how about you Again, I okay. mean, I'm not you, bringing much to this episode. No, hold on. But
0: you're, you're re- are you still reeling from our episode last week? I'm, I'm still recovering from that. That was quite a, a quite an experience, but good, good fun. We uh, the night last, walk, the night walk last week. Yeah, which, uh, last 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 week's
3: episode, which I hope you all enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> we failed on almost every front.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see any wildlife, and we didn't make tea. <laughs> no, but I did get home and was asked what the heck has been going on because I was sort of. Covered in mud yeah, yeah. and just sort of wandered in like I've seen some things, and I was like, oh, no, I know, I just, i not, nothing. <laughs> we had a lot of owls. That was a lot of the, owls. That was
3: probably the best owl cast we've ever done.
0: Oh, definitely, it was, and it was impressive to stand somewhere and they were like all around you, and it was kind yeah, of quite eerie. That was good, yeah. But you, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I, I,
3: when I got back into the light, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm covered head to foot in mud. <laughs> And I uh, hadn't noticed <laughs> it's a nice thing about being out at night Yeah, I've done an awful lot since then The weather's been a,
0: a shocking I've sort of, I, I went down to the river and it's swollen and brown and horrible looking Yeah, but I, I travelled into London yesterday on the train And it's one of those times where you, you look out the window and just all the fields kind of, look like they're lakes yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. water everywhere yeah, We're having a lot of weather at the moment But um,
3: no, no great sightings we one sparrowhawk this week so quite a nice little thing buzzing over the car. Everyone else in the car hates it when I birdwatch while driving, so I don't <laughs> don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's so difficult when you see something amazing fly by. So no, I am much. I'm very. Hold careful. on, everyone. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah,
2: just yeah.
3: <laughs> When I was young, I once drove into a hedge when I saw a flock of partridges, <laughs> and uh, that I was. My brother was with me. I was very very slowly, but it was also. Not great. So i (laughs) better. banned from bird watching. (laughs) Bird watching while driving. Uh, Not a good thing to do. And I I don't try that at home. That's sort of what we've been doing. Maria, particularly excellent adventure. Do tell us what you've been up to. We'd love to hear your stories, particularly if you've recorded any sounds of the countryside. It's just a joy to get these little postcards. So whether it's just the sound of water swirling through a flooded field or the cries of a lonely bird in a dark night, a dark wood, uh, as last week, please send them in. You can contact me, Jack, Hannah, and Maria on editor at countryfile.com. And the very best will read out on the show. In fact, I do have a lovely email here to share with you from a listener. This is from Peter Smith. And he's referring back to, oh, it must be four episodes ago, Sutton Walls, where I roamed around a hill fort Mm. in Herefordshire. And he said, I really enjoyed your episode. As far as I remember it, you, you're quite local, but you may know Loggerston Press, who are a local sort of publishing company. And their new book is called The Hillforts of Iron Age Wales. And I wish I'd read it before I went because <laughs> it could have been more. But he's he sent me some links to that. And uh, he's also sent a link to this is new online hillforts atlas maps of all 4,147 hillforts in Britain and Ireland. And it's been mapped for the first time. So you can look for online Hillfort Atlas if you're interested in tracking them down. And there are hillforts everywhere in Britain. I I think they're just magical places. But thank you, Peter, for your email and for your information. As I say, do send in any thoughts you have about the podcast or the countryside or whatever we've been talking about. We love to hear it. But for now, I think that's it for this week. Enjoy your pilgrimages till next week. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. And thank you all for listening. Goodbye.